from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Hi, this is Newt. Because of the coronavirus, I am currently staying at home in Rome, where my wife serves as the United States Ambassador to the Holy See. She's leading the embassy in dealing with all the different changes being brought about by the pandemic. To bring you this episode this week, I'm recording from my home. So you may notice a difference in audio quality. On this episode of Newt's World, with the spread of COVID-19, we are looking for treatments for patients currently infected with the virus, while we also try to find a vaccine or a cure. I'm joined today by Dr. Arturo Casadaval, who is both a medical doctor and a doctor of philosophy, and he is chair of Molecular Microbiology and Immunology at Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. He has been a leading national voice on developing a convalescent plasma therapy to treat COVID-19. I am pleased to welcome him as my guest. First of all, could you just share with us for a minute what attracted you to public health and how you got to where you are today? Sir Nude, I'm originally from Cuba. I came here when I was 11, and I fell in love with science, and I've been in life in science all my life. And I worked with antibodies during the past 30 years, and I knew the history of this field. And I knew that in the past, convalescent plasma had been used in many epidemics, including the 1918 epidemic, and even more recently, in 2003, in SARS. And therefore, I put two of my great interests together. One of them was science and antibody, and the other one is history. And 
thought that it was very important to try to get this deployed. For those of us who don't have your scientific background, can you take a minute and explain what convalescent plasma is so that the average American could understand it? Yes. So let's say that a person gets COVID-19. The majority of people will get better on their own. Some get more ill and some of them get into respiratory failure and a small number die. Those who survive make antibodies. Antibodies are proteins that are in the blood and they can kill the virus. So it, once convalescent means that you have gotten better. Once you're better, there is in your blood these antibodies that can be used to prevent disease and to treat disease. And the idea is that those who survive will donate their plasma, and then this plasma would be used to treat those who are sick or given it to people who are exposed, who may get sick, to prevent them from actually getting sick so that you can maintain the police, you can maintain the doctors, etc. What is the difference between plasma and blood? When you have blood, you have red cells, white cells, and liquids floating in a liquid. This is why the blood is a liquid. So if you were to remove the cells, you're left with a liquid, and that liquid is the plasma. And that's where the antibodies are found. Okay, so in essence, you're taking the liquid out of your, to a certain percent of somebody's blood. It's almost like they're blood donors, except in this case, they become plasma donors. Now, do they have to donate the whole blood for you to then take the plasma out of it? Yes and no. In some cases, you can donate the whole blood. Like, well, for example, if you go for a blood donation, the blood center, they separate your red cells and your white cells and the plasma. And the plasma is used for other things. Currently, we use plasma in surgery, in people that have problems with coagulation. But you can also have something known as apheresis, a complicated word. But what it means is that you can go to one of these centers and they put an IV onto you and they actually can remove the liquid without taking the cells. You can remove as much as 600 milliliters, which is enough to treat two people. In many cases here in the United States, the Red Cross is going to be asking you donate blood and they'll make the plasma out of it because they'll save the red cells for people who need them and then they'll take the liquid and they test it for antibody to see if they can use it on people with COVID-19. What seems to be the difference between people who are susceptible to the pandemic and people who might carry it but they never get sick? People who have predisposing conditions, people who have diabetes, heart disease, lung disease, seem to be at higher risk for disease. And by disease, I mean symptoms. You can be infected and have no symptoms. That's the majority of people. Those are the asymptomatics. And then the people that go on to disease, that is that they have a fever, that they have shortness of breath, that they have malaise, often tend to have associated conditions. And, and these conditions can make the disease worse. But it's also important to realize that we're having people that are completely well, that doesn't have any condition, that are also getting sick. And as to who gets sick and who doesn't, there is a lot of factors that come into this. All we can say is, if you look at a population, those who have pre-existing conditions are more likely to get sick. 
But we know very well that even people that have heart disease and have lung disease that get exposed to this, not everybody gets sick. And that there's an element of chance in there that it makes it very hard to predict who will be ill and who will not. So does part of it just become pragmatic? If you end up clearly having had the virus but not having gotten sick from the virus, so that you then become available potentially as a donor, is that correct? Yes. We think that anybody who recovers is a potential donor. So even people who have been sick and have been sitting at home, and once the fever breaks, once they have no more symptoms, we want them to wait at least 14 days. 28 days may be the right amount because what we are finding is that a lot of these people still test positive for virus. Now, we don't know if they're infectious or not because the test looks at the RNA, looks at nucleic acid. So the virus may not be infectious, but we want to be super careful and we don't want to send them to a transfusion facility where they could infect others. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. 
I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. What would you guess are the potential donors at the present time in the U.S.? How many people are we really talking about? Well, we're talking about thousands of people have already volunteered. The problem today, Newt, is not donors. The problem today is logistical, is ramping this up. It's complicated because think about it. You've got to find people who you can establish that they had the disease and that they had a positive test for COVID-19 who have recovered who now have to go for a second test to show that they don't have it anymore. And then you got to make an appointment and they need to go to a facility and they got to donate their plasma. And then that plasma has to be processed. It takes about a day and then it can be used on a patient. And the good thing though is that most people can help two others. That is, if you go for a plasma donation, most people can make two units. So at least the math helps in that regard. Now, is there a cycle time where if I came in and you took my plasma, could I then come back in 14 days or 28 days? The blood banks have a set number of days in which they just want people to recover fully. But that is absolutely true. Don't quote me in the actual number of days. It's probably on the order of weeks. But they can come back and then help out other people. Part of what I'm worried about is this fall and the potential of the virus sort of reigniting. But if you by then had identified enough people, you could have a pretty powerful system of donors capable of really cutting down dramatically the risk to people. Right. There is something else going on that will hopefully be available in the fall that is better than this. Pharmaceutical companies can take the antibody out of the plasma and produce a product that is called gamma globulin. And this is going on right now that pharmaceutical companies are collecting plasma themselves to provide a different product, which is just the antibody with nothing else in it. And the advantage of that is that it's going to be an industrial product that is consistent from batch to batch in terms of activity. The problem is that that is not available right now. And it's just going to take them months to ramp up to do this. So between now and the availability of this product, which is made out of plasma, many of us think that convalescent plasma is a very helpful potential stopgap solution. So what needs to be done to maximize the implementation of the convalescent plasma system? Logistics, logistics, logistics. The country doesn't have a mechanism in place for doing this. So we are essentially creating it. The good thing is that there are now multiple places collecting plasma in the New York area, the New York Blood Center. The Red Cross is collecting plasma. The problem is the ramp up. I believe things are getting better every day, but the problem is that this needs to be done faster. I'm not somebody who who thinks in terms of maximizing this production. I think there are a lot of very smart people probably who could look at this as a supply and demand and do it. It's complicated because you're talking about different states, different places of collection, and I do think that it would be very helpful. Right now, this is all being done at a grassroots level. It has been done by universities and it's been done by hospitals. 
if there was more of a national coordination. Why isn't CDC or somebody empowered to do that? Actually, all the government agencies have been extremely helpful. The FDA has been the leader in this because this product falls within their domain. Plasma is a regulated product in the United States. And they have been doing their part. If you want to think about the challenges is imagine creating like essentially a new industry from scratch that is going to produce a product that previously wasn't being done. And I think that the situation in two weeks is going to be dramatically different than it is today. Another thing that's going to happen is that most of our potential donors today can donate because most of the Americans who have COVID-19 are in some stages of either being sick or recovering. In a month, a lot of these people would have recovered. So we're going to have a much larger pool of potential donors. It seems to me part of what you're suggesting is that we should ensure that the logistics system exists within 30 days to match up with the patients who would then be available in significant numbers. That's right. It's a grassroots effort, but I think it would really help if there were some companies who know how to organize something like this. I mean, I can tell you that our effort grew out of grassroots, that our website, which you can go to, which is ccpp19.org, was created with help donated from Amazon. The FDA has done all this kind to help. And in fact, the FDA has just brought in the Red Cross to try to help with their system of collections. As you're describing it, this is probably a very short-term implementation, and then it gets superseded by the development of the manufactured antibodies. You're absolutely right. This is never going to be a pharmaceutical product because, in a way, you are taking plasma from donors and using it in others. And, you know, pharmaceutical products are consistent. The antibody that will be made from plasma will be a pharmaceutical product. But between now and then, the option that we're dealing with is basically taking something from survivors that they carry in their blood and using it. And that is going to be very useful as long as we don't have something else. But then eventually we'll be superseded by a better product. I'm just trying to think through whether it's the public health system or a couple of very large hospitals. Somewhere there has to be somebody with organizational capability. I think that it would help from more coordination. I'll give you an example. New York City has lots of donors today. But the capacity to produce this is the number of places that you can go and donate. In a few weeks, I suspect the curve in New York City will have come down, and yet this is going to be needed in other parts of the country. And you really want to be thinking about a system by which this can be deployed across the country, across state lines involving different jurisdictions and things like that until we have better products in place. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it. Nice. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. What, you fly across the country to do the install? Nope. Blinds.com can do it all. All she had to do was pick what she wanted. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Look at you, Hall of Fame son. Oh, I just picked the winning team. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Oh, Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. He shoots. He scores. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. So people who are listening to this should recognize that one of the options they should be looking for if they or one of their loved ones comes down with the virus is to see whether or not in their region it's possible to get convalescent plasma solution that could in fact save their life. That's right, Newt. You're ahead of me. <laughs> I can tell you that my inbox is full of people writing to me and saying, my loved one is in the intensive care unit. How do you get this stuff? And right now, what I've been advising them to say is talk to the person's doctor and see if it can be obtained locally. Call the Red Cross and see if they happen to have something available. But right now, the supply is insufficient to meet the demand. How hard is it locally to manufacture this? It's not hard. Let's just say you go in Johns Hopkins, you come into our transfusion facility, you sit there for a couple of hours, you donate your plasma, your plasma is then tested for viruses, it's tested for blood-borne pathogens, things like that. And then within a day or two, it is put in a refrigerator and then it's, it's ready to use, provided that all the quality checklists are followed. The one thing that I want to add is that we haven't discussed yet is efficacy. The, the history of plasma is encouraging. If you look back in 1918, the doctors thought that it worked. If you look back at multiple epidemics, people have always thought that it worked, but there has never really been good controlled clinical trials. And the reason for that is obvious. When you're in the middle of an epidemic, people tend to rely on something that probably has very little toxicity, and yet it has potential benefits. 
But one of the things that we're gearing up here in the United States to do is to do formal clinical trials where we're going to test this stuff in a way that you compare it, people who get it to people who don't get it. And we think that this can be done relatively quickly because there are so many cases. This should be like a three or four week experience, shouldn't it? That's exactly right. And in fact, I will add that here in the United States, convalescent sera is being used today as a compassionate use. The FDA has allowed it. There are probably between 50 and 100 people that have been treated. By the way, compassionate use just means that your doctor says that this could be useful. Therefore, you try to get a unit or two to treat your patient. We should be able to compare those people to people who were comparable, who did not get it. And that's what the Chinese have done. They're reporting in the literature good results. The Italians are reporting good results. But again, these are not controlled clinical trials. We want to do things right. If you can already identify 50 or 100 patients who've been treated, do we have some notion of what those outcomes were? We don't have it yet. Hopefully, these people will begin putting the information out. The information that we have on plasma, the best information is coming out of China. The Chinese used it, and they are reporting in some of our best medical journals like JAMA and PNAS, they're reporting encouraging results with important caveat that these are series of patients. That is, you treated A, one, two, three, four, five, six. You didn't do a trial in which you created two arms. This one is going to get plasma and this one is not. So the data is encouraging, but it doesn't have the imprimatur of very high quality data that the way we make medical decisions today. Let's say that they tried it on 100 people. If none of them died, isn't that a pretty good sign? That would be a very good sign if we had that data. Or, for example, if you could say that the people who got treated, the majority of them got off a respirator. Right. So So that's the kind of data we're going to be looking for as soon as we get a sense of what's going on. What about in the Chinese reporting? I mean, do they have zero deaths or a decline in the total number of deaths? Their papers don't include that. What they include is the experience with using it. So they, for example, the paper that was reported in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science, which is one of the most prestigious journals in the world, at the beginning of last week, this showed, for example, that they had treated like 10 or 15 patients and they had done well and that their virus had come down. So it's encouraging. You're looking at that and you say, you know, this may help. It doesn't appear to have any significant side effects. Let's try it. From the Italians, I hear you're in Rome, right? Yes, I am. In the newspapers, there have been reports that the Italians are using plasma in northern Italy, and the newspaper reports are favorable. But again, as a scientist and physician, I like to see the data before I come to that conclusion. Right. In your judgment, is the general momentum going to get this set up in the next 30 to 45 days? Or is there something that either the White House or NIH or FDA or somebody needs to do that would sort of close the gap and accelerate getting this done? I think it would be great if somebody at high level, that is at HHS, for example, took a look at all these efforts and say, okay, they're doing pretty well. Is there something we can do to help them do this better? People often want to know where to donate. If you have recovered from COVID-19, and if you know that it was COVID-19, please consider donating. And there are at least three ways you can do this. You can call the Red Cross, 
they are coordinating receiving plasma. If you're in the New York area, you have the New York Blood Center. And in your area, no matter where you are in the country, many hospitals are gearing to do this. And there is a need for this, especially in community hospitals. If you want, we can help you. Please go to ccpp19.org. There is a way in which you can register as a potential donor. And you just have to put in minimal information and we will try to match you with your zip code. We will put that donor information on our show page. Thank you, Arturo. Thank you so much. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers, and our producer is Garnsey Sloan. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Fennell. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. Please email me with your comments at newt at newtsworld.com. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.